Good morning, everyone, and um, it's my privilege this morning to welcome my friend, uh, Doc, Reverend Dr. Kevin Austin, um, this morning as he comes to bring a message of the work that he is doing around the world in partnership with the core belief that all people deserve to be free, um, free from slavery and free to do the work of God around the world. So would you join me in welcoming Dr. Kevin Austin? Good morning, good to be with you this morning. Uh, a couple of introductory comments. I really need about eight hours because there's a lot of content around um, what I'm gonna be talking about today, which will become very obvious as I begin. Um, but, but besides that, I wanna encourage you, when you leave today, stop by at our table and please pick up one of these prayer cards. We have a prayer card that you can uh, join with us in prayer in eight different ways. We also have an information card for some next steps, and if you want to be on the mailing list of the Set Free Movement, you just fill out this piece uh, right here legibly and leave that with me. I'll be at the table so I can answer questions. I also, humorously, have t-shirts for sale. So since it's going to be about five degrees tomorrow, I think everybody should get a t-shirt, um, and all the proceeds go to help the Set Free Movement. There's also, uh, in the new Light and Life magazine, one of our leaders in Rochester, New York, wrote an article about the work that they're engaging in in Rochester, New York. Just, you know, there's all sorts of things that you can take a look at. Um, the other thing, just before I start, is that uh, I'm gonna be talking this morning about human trafficking, modern day slavery, and so we'll look at some statistics in the beginning, we'll look at some scripture, and then a couple stories at the end. But I want you to know right at the very beginning that this is a message of, of hope, not a message of despair. There's no room for despair. Uh, you know, we serve a mighty God who created all the trees with the leaves that are changing colors and, and, and the snow that's on the way. Um, we serve a mighty God of creation, Jesus, who's, who rose from the dead. So when we talk about really hard, challenging things like human trafficking, we do it within the context of this other reality that we serve a mighty God and that we center this work on Jesus. All right, you with me? Okay. I'm a, I walk around, so I have to have this uh, in my hand. So in, in the world today, there are at least 40 million slaves. And these are real slaves. They're unable to walk away. They're doing things they don't want to do. And they're under the threat of violence. These are not people making $1 a day and going home or $2 a day and going home. These are real slaves. And it's not just about sex trafficking, which gets... Um, a lot of attention, but it's also about labor trafficking. And um, human trafficking is, is a huge criminal money-making business generating about 150 billion US dollars a year. So yes, it's about the breakdown of the moral fabric of society. Yes, it's about laws and law engagement and rescue, restoration, awareness, all of those things. But it is a, a, an incredible um, business, a criminal, business generating huge amounts of money. And this is why we need a lot of time to have this conversation, because um, we contribute to the human trafficking in part through the products that we buy and we use. Human trafficking is in our cupboards, our closets, our kitchens. It's across the street, it's around the corner, it's on the other side of the world. Uh, it's really in just about everything that we use. It's in our cotton, it's in our automobiles, it's in our technology, it's in our coffee, our chocolate. Depending on what you use, human trafficking is there. 
And so that generates a lot of conversation on what should you buy, what should you not buy, what do you do? Um, India is the number one country in the world with human trafficking, 18 million slaves in India. Um, Iraq is in the top 10 uh, in the world with, in, in regards to human trafficking, but the United States is uh, not innocent either. Um, there are estimated to be somewhere between 100,000 to 300,000 domestic minor sex trafficking victims in the United States. So these are domestic US citizens, minors, they're under the age of 18 and they're involved in commercial sexual exploitation. So if we add to that number, those who are over the age of 18, those who are involved in labor trafficking, then I'm going to guess that we have somewhere around one million slaves, maybe even more than a million slaves in the United States today. They're involved in commercial sexual exploitation and also labor trafficking. But we have to back up and we have to ask, well, what, what creates human trafficking to begin with? Where, where do victims come from? Uh, and is this a problem or is it a symptom? What creates vulnerability? Is it a problem or a symptom? Um, I was just reading a statistic about Michigan. There are estimated to be 38,000 homeless uh, young people in Michigan. These are either children or, well, I guess they're all minors, so they're teenagers older children that are either homeless or they're unaccompanied. There's 38,000 children who are vulnerable to human trafficking. And this is another reason why we need a, a long time to have this conversation because when we talk about what creates vulnerability to begin with, then we start talking about all the injustices. Because what creates vulnerability? Poverty, racism, gender inequality, domestic violence in the home, alcohol and drug abuse in our society. Any injustice we name creates a vulnerability to human trafficking. So not only am I wanting you to help us to end human trafficking, but I want to invite you to help us end all the injustices in our society. That's a pretty tall order. But God being our helper, we can do some things. We can do some things. We can't do it all, but we can do some things. Now the other question, is this a problem or is it a symptom? And we've really come to believe that human trafficking is a symptom. It is not the real problem. You know, I, I uh, was a missionary in Thailand for seven years. My family and I were missionaries in Thailand. That's where slavery found me, was in Thailand. Um, so we were in Thailand and we lived in a village. And uh, at one point, the owner of the village came in and cut down a whole bunch of banana trees and burned the ground. But three months later, the banana trees started to come back up again because they didn't dig out the roots. We've got to get down deep, and we've got to get down deep and ask, well, what generates the vulnerability to begin with? What generates all these injustices? What is generating these symptoms, these symptoms of poverty, which is relationships that don't work? That's what poverty is about, relationships that don't work. What's generating the symptom of racism, where we have these value systems where we think that one color is less valuable than another color? What's creating the symptom of human trafficking? Well, we've really come to believe that it's all about brokenness. It's all about brokenness. Brokenness between us and God and us and each other. Brokenness between men and women, between the rich and the poor, 
the Republicans and the Democrats, different religious systems. There's this incredible brokenness in our world that then becomes community brokenness, where whole communities become broken. And you live, you live in an incredibly broken area. I mean, you live between Detroit and Toledo, which are hubs of poverty and racism and human trafficking. And you're not immune to it here either. You're not immune to it here either. So there's incredible brokenness that spreads from individuals to communities to then whole systems, and then, and then whole cultures become broken. So without this brokenness in our world, and we've, we've come to believe strongly that we must do two things simultaneously. We need to address the symptoms, yeah, but we also need to address the problem. And so we must both serve with compassion at the margins. So we work at the margins to address homelessness and to address the, is, uh, the children caught up in the brokenness in foster care and homelessness in Michigan and other places. We address racism. We address poverty, we address human trafficking. We need to address those things, but they're symptoms. But at the same time, we must bring hope and healing into broken communities. It's about bringing hope and healing into the brokenness. And the question is, whose job is that? You know government can't do that. That's not the role of business. And while academia may be helpful, that's not the role of academia either. Really, the ones that bring Hope and healing into broken communities are the people who follow Jesus into the brokenness. It's the people of God who work to bring hope and healing into broken communities. So there's this, there's this incredible reality of brokenness. This incredible reality of brokenness um, with, with the suffering and the pain, the human trafficking, the homelessness, the racism, the poverty. But there's a whole nother reality as well. There's a whole nother reality as well. And we need to address this one reality by holding on to this other reality, this other reality of who God is and what God does. And so um, this morning, I wanna, I'm, I'm looking at Psalm uh, 113. And if you've got a pew Bible, you can open it or you can just listen to me. But this is, this is our, so the question is, what is our response to human trafficking? What is our response to suffering and pain in the world? And I would, I would offer that our response is to worship God. Because when we worship God, we align our values with God's values. And we acknowledge another reality that is beyond us that informs our present reality. Bethany Hong wrote a great book, and she used to work for International Justice Mission, and she said this, seeking justice does not begin at the brothel door. Seeking justice begins with seeking the God of justice. So seeking justice doesn't begin with serving the homeless. It begins with, with, with seeking the God who cares about the homeless. And so what's our response? Our response is right here in Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Now let me just stop there for a minute. You know, you're part of a wave of worship. Last night when we were sleeping, people in Korea, 
And parts of Russia and China started to worship the Lord. And as the sun moved, it moved over towards Japan and then Southeast Asia and then other parts of the world and then India and then Africa and Europe. And so people have been worshiping Jesus for many, many hours until we get to this point right now. And I live in Seattle. People in Seattle are just now starting to get up, starting to get ready. And when we go for lunch today and you take your nap this afternoon, people are going to be just finishing their worship time. This incredible wave of worship from the rising of the sun to the setting. God's people in all sorts of circumstances and places are, are, are worshiping the Lord. Now, it goes on, verse 4. The Lord is to be exalted over all the nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like our God? The one who sits enthroned on high. Who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. You know, God is seated on a high. He is the mighty God. He does not need to stoop down, but he does. I mean, have you ever stopped to just be absolutely amazed that God, the creator of the earth, listens to you? He actually cares about you. And he cares about the refugees in, Deer in, in Dearborn. And he cares about the homeless youth that are in Jackson. And he cares about the human trafficking victims, the women selling their bodies in Toledo. He cares. He stoops down. He's a God that doesn't just care. Divine compassion leads to divine action. He acts. He acts. He moves. He stoops down. He raises up. He raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap. We must center everything on Jesus. We have to hang on to these two realities of this brokenness and yet the healing, the despair and yet the hope. And we do this within the context of worship because worship forms us and informs us and worship is a catalyst for action. So I've, oft, I've often thought, and I think this is a good thing that you can uh, give to your pastor as a gift sometime, is a track and field starting gun. Because we come into this place and we come in from different, different backgrounds, different cares. Some of us are really uh, frustrated about one thing or another or we're, we're struggling with finances or we're struggling with our spouse. Some people in this room come in with, with a lot of joy and gladness and things are going well. We come into this room and then we start to sing and we start to pray and we focus on the person of God. And then God pours out his blessings on us and then we take all those blessings and give them away. And so at the end of the service, you say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you take your gun and you shoot it, and then everybody runs out to give away what they've been given. Because we have been given, we have been given hope and healing to take into the brokenness. We've been given hope and healing to, to, to take into the brokenness. And if we don't do it, who will? The answer is nobody will. Now, let me just give you two quick illustrations of this. So, one international, one national. So, the Seth Green Movement is now almost 10 years old, and we have 50 teams located in nine different countries. 
Most of them are in the United States. And these are teams that come together to pray and learn and do discipleship together and, and, and network within their communities. And then they engage within their communities. Um, and, and so we've got a whole bunch of teams doing a whole bunch of different things. But let me just give you two illustrations. So our team in Seattle um, learned that, again, back to foster care, our team in Seattle learned that when a child was taken out of a home, they were brought by the social worker into the, the foster care facility, and they sat right next to the social worker in her cubicle while the social worker was trying to place the child in a home. Think about how traumatic that is. They've experienced some kind of brokenness, and now they're sitting with a stranger, and they're hearing potentially rejection after rejection. So this team went to, the, went to the foster care facility and said, we've heard this, is it true? And if it is, can we remodel a room for you? Can we bring stuffed animals and toys and books into a room so that the child can go into a welcoming environment? The answer was yes. So they did this. They also created a hotline so that when a child's taken out of a home, the hotline kicks in and waiting for the child and the social worker is, is a church person who takes that child into the room and reads them stories and plays with them while they're getting placed. It's usually it's a retired person. Now on Valentine's Day and Christmas and other events, the social workers get fair trade chocolates and gift cards and flowers. They've got to be wondering who are these church people that have remodeled a room and now they're giving us gifts. Also, once a month, the church has a, uh, has a big dinner free of charge for foster families, where foster families can come and the adults can learn about some aspect that they need to, and the kids go off and play, free of charge. And they've become the model for King County. Like the foster care people have acknowledged that this church and the set free team are the model in the whole greater Seattle area for how a, a non-government organization can partner with foster care. Once a year they do this conference called Brave. And it's a whole day where foster girls come and they spend a whole day hearing inspiring stories, winning gift cards, doing, doing crafts, getting their hair done, getting their nails done, learning about college. And they're told in multiple, multiple ways, you matter. You matter. We care about you. We care about you. So they've moved into this brokenness. They've moved into this broken foster care system. And, and, and they're working to create hope and healing in these foster families and with these foster kids. Now the other statistic that I didn't tell you is that 70% 70% of men and women involved in prostitution in the United States were one-time foster kids. So we want to intervene with foster care. We want to intervene and help families to be healed and whole before they produce foster kids. But then once they become foster kids, we want families to come, we want churches to come around, we want teams to come around these foster families. So that's what our team in Seattle is doing. That's pretty cool. Now, internationally, my friends Chance and Didi Galloway landed in Bulgaria about eight years ago. And in Bulgaria, you need to know that there are two people groups. There are the, there are the white Bulgarians that look like me, and then there are the Roma, the gypsies that are brown-skinned. And there's extreme prejudice against the Roma. And they live in these sprawling slums 
where there aren't job opportunities, healthcare opportunities, educational opportunities. And I was just in Bulgaria in September and I was talking to, to a free Methodist pastor who's in a Roma village of 14,000 people. And he said, every three days a girl disappears. The children are incredibly vulnerable to human trafficking because of the crushing poverty driven by the crushing racism. So Chance and Didi are called to Bulgaria. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they're missionaries. Missionaries don't really know what they're doing, you know, especially in the beginning, right, Dustin? It's like, well, you know, you know you've, you've, got a, you've got an advanced degree and now you can't even speak the language. You know, and you don't know where you're going, you don't know the culture, and you're trying to figure things out. But God introduced them to a Bulgarian Roman, a Bulgarian Christian couple and a Roma Christian couple. And God created some racial reconciliation. And now there are Bulgarian Christians and Roma Christians uh, doing leadership development together. And get this, they've planted 35 churches in the last four years. In Bulgaria, um, in North Macedonia, and the country that's now escaping my mind to the north of them. Um, just incredible work that God is doing. Racial reconciliation, church planting, people coming to know Jesus like crazy. But they wanted it to be a holistic work, so they also created an agriculture project. They also created an agriculture project. And they just had their first harvest potatoes and tomatoes, and they gave 100% of it away to the poor. And not only that, but they created a home called the St. John's Home that will protect 10 Roma girls from human trafficking. Racial reconciliation, church planting, leadership development, helping the poor and the hungry, protecting the most vulnerable. The thing that just happened to me when I was there in September was all these places where they planted all these churches, the, the gospel has been presented in a holistic way and people are rising up and saying, we want to protect the vulnerable. So we're starting set free teams in all of these church plant areas. So we now have five set-free teams led by Roma people, the poorest, most disadvantaged people around, that are going to be leading these teams to protect the vulnerable. Now, what, do, what, do, what, do, what does the team in Seattle and the team in Bulgaria have in common, and what do you have in common with them? They've centered their work on Jesus. They've centered their work on Jesus. And they've done, they're doing it within the context of worship, where they are worshiping God and acknowledging the reality of who God is and how God moves and what God does. And they know that it's not about them. It's not about Kevin. It's not about Melanie or that Kevin or Dustin. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus and the mission of Jesus to set the captives free, to bring hope and healing into the brokenness. And so that's the call this morning. That's the call this morning, more than anything else. Center your life on Jesus. And you don't have to go to Bulgaria. You don't have to be, get involved with foster care. But I would challenge you and encourage you that each one of you has gifts and skills that God has given you to make a difference in the world. And it may be across the street. It may be in your place of business. It may be in your school. It may be in your family. Or it may be in another part of the world. But be on mission with God. It's the most exciting, 
most fulfilling, most important thing that you'll ever do. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for today. We're thankful, God, that you've given us food to eat, clean water to drink, that we're in a safe and secure environment. None of us are cold right now. None of us will be taken out in the jungle and shot tonight because of our beliefs. And we, we confess to you that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. And we confess to you that um, we have not always followed you. But Jesus, we want to follow you into the darkness. We want to follow you and we want you to gift us and use us and call us to do what you want us to do in this world. We pray, God, for people who are suffering terribly in our state, suffering terribly in our world. And we pray, God, that you would help us to know how to help others and to do it within this context of worship. Jesus, we focus on you. We center this on you. This is about you. It's for you. It's to you. It's because of you. And it's for your glory that we pray for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.